Hello, and welcome to The Impact Code, your go-to podcast for stories of transformation, inspiration, and impact. I'm your host, Brett Hollenbeck, a seeker and storyteller dedicated to bringing you conversations that illuminate the path to personal growth and collective change. Each episode, we dive deep into the lives of innovators, thinkers, and doers who are breaking boundaries and making their difference in the world. Today's episode is brought to you by Tower Community Bank. As a dedicated partner in progress, Tower Community Bank is not just a financial institution. We are a cornerstone in fostering growth and development within our communities. With a commitment to personal service and supporting local initiatives, we help turn dreams into reality for individuals and businesses alike. If you enjoyed today's show, you can show support by heading over to www.towercommunitybank.com and checking us out. Big thanks to Tower Community Bank for their support in making this episode possible and for their ongoing commitment to community and empowerment. So sit back, tune in, and get ready to be inspired by today's conversation with Eileen Canny Linehan. And welcome to another episode of The Impact Code, where we dive into the stories of extraordinary individuals transforming lives. Today, we're thrilled to introduce a remarkable figure in the world of sports and mental resilience, Eileen Canny Linehan. Eileen's journey is nothing short of awe-inspiring. From being Northwestern University's most dominant pitcher, holding an NCAA single-game strikeout record, to leading the Wildcats to historic victories in the Women's College World Series, her athletic prowess is legendary. A two-time Big Ten Pitcher of the Year and NFCA All-American, Eileen's name resonates with excellence in collegiate softball. But Eileen's story transcends her incredible achievements on the field. Despite her remarkable success, she faced her own battles with performance anxiety, also known as the yips, during her career. This personal challenge, however, only fueled her passion further. After conquering her mental blocks, Eileen transformed her struggle into a mission to help others. With a degree in human development and psychological services from Northwestern, Eileen has dedicated herself to mentoring athletes, helping them overcome their performance anxieties and mental blocks. Her empathetic approach, coupled with her own triumphant experience, makes her a beacon of hope for athletes facing similar challenges. Today, Eileen stands as a testament to the power of mental resilience and the importance of mental health in sports. Her story is not just about athletic glory, but about overcoming inner hurdles and helping others do the same. So get ready to be inspired by a woman who not only dominated the pitching mound, but also conquered the mind's challenges. Please join me in welcoming Eileen Candy Linehan to The Impact Code. Eileen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm really excited to be talking today and to be able to dive in not only to your story, but specifically to performance anxiety and the yips and how someone can sort of start to troubleshoot that Um, in their own lives if they're going through a similar problem. So I'd love to just start with sort of your journey into your interest in the Yips. Can you talk a little bit about where did you first sort of find this term, the Yips, and and what was your experience that sort of piqued your interest? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I So I started playing when I was 10 or 11 years old. um, And I threw really hard, but I was a little bit more wild. Um, so I actually think when I reflect back on my journey, I also used to hit as a pitcher, I used to hit a lot of batters. So I think I might, and I was hitting them because I was trying so hard not to hit them. So I think it might've started as early as that. And then my, my specific yips that lasted for 13 years of my playing career was overhand. So, um, when I was younger, I had, I would make throws to first and I would throw it too hard. And then I would try to be too careful and then I would overthrow it and we would lose the game. Um, which, uh, we'll kind of get into, I'm sure later, but my personality type is a perfectionist and people pleaser. So the thing I wanted to do the least was letting down my teammates, my coaches. And so I think in doing that, it started to scare my brain into trying to over control that simple task. And so it just got worse from there. Um, we would have defensive shifts where we didn't have a right fielder and our right fielder would come into the infield. So every time I overthrew it, then they would also get in, in the park home run. Um, Oh yeah. 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 So it, it lasted for a long time. We, you know, 
this will date me, but like the internet was just kind of, you know, starting to come around. And so in trying to do research with that, I would Google it and I would get, you know, some basic information about other athletes that had had it, had them, but I never knew steps to really overcome them. Um, yeah. W- was there a moment for you when you sort of developed the self-awareness to see like, Hey, this is something that is actually like repetitively impacting you. Uh, is, was there a specific moment that drove that or was it just over time you sort of noticed the pattern? Um, over time, the, the difference from, so, you know, everybody makes mistakes, but what, where I knew it was different is that my arm would go numb. So I couldn't feel my hand. And so I would go to throw and it didn't matter what coaching, and my throws were great in practice, but every time I would go into a game, it would be a noodle arm and then the ball would either fly straight up or straight into the ground. Um, and so that's when I knew that something was different. And so I'm trying to explain that, you know, to my parents or coaches or friends or teammates, they, it's hard to explain that feeling to people that don't necessarily know it and haven't experienced it because it seems like it's made up. Um, mm-hmm. And so in, there was definitely a moment where I realized that what was happening, but it, again, it, it just sucks all your control away. So it's, it's debil- debilitating. Yeah. So how did you first start? And you, I think you just mentioned this a little bit in the last question, but how did you start to begin to troubleshoot this? So it was, it was Googling and it was trying to figure out, trying to describe what you were feeling on the field. Yeah. Um, so I, I looked it up and then ultimately I think we all just tried to hide it. So it would be, um, through making my rise ball better. And when people would try and bunt to me, they would pop it up and we'd get a double play. Our defensive shifts, they'd cover it more. Um, it, it just it was something that we wouldn't talk about because everyone fears this thing, this, this piece that if you talk about it, it's going to make it worse. And so um, it just resulted in me feeling really alone and crying all the time about it because why is this happening to me? I don't understand um, because it didn't, if, if it doesn't make sense, if I can't explain it to other people, it definitely doesn't make sense to me. Um, right. and so I think in, I don't remember who, I don't know when I heard the word yips or like in that necessarily, but, um, I did have a sports psychologist that definitely freed me from some of the stresses and the judgment that I was placing on myself, but I was kind of projecting my own um, I don't know, like I didn't fully buy into some of the steps that he was giving me because I think I thought that no one had understood it for so long. So why would this stuff be different than what I had tried before? But that was unfair. But, um, yeah. And I do think, I do think that happens though. I think that happens with a lot of our problems in life is that maybe after a couple of tries of like talking to someone and, we try to implement the advice that they give. If it's not successful or sometimes makes things worse, I think it's easy to just settle for this is the way it is, or this is just my lot in life, mm-hmm. or this is the hand I have to deal with. Um, so I, I do resonate with that. Cause I, I felt like that at times before too, where it's just like, Nope, I think it's just, you know, it's the problem I have to deal with. Yeah. Whereas trying maybe a, a new approach again, finding a new person to talk to, I think can sometimes spring even if it's not the right answer, a closer step to the right answer. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That, that uh, component of, of acceptance and then accepting it. This is a really interesting thing. In accepting the yips, the yips actually go away. Mm. But with some of the tools that I, I teach them as well. But of course, a lot yeah. of times if you're accepting something, you can't change. Yeah. You, like if, if you lose someone you love, you can't bring them back. But in accepting this, there actually is a change and the the actions after that will be different. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And again, I think it applies to a lot of things in life, just like you mentioned. I think that acceptance is so crucial to our contextual awareness and then being able to move forward Mm -hmm. in a productive way because we have an accurate analysis of where we are at that point and sort of a self-awareness then to be able to move forward more productively. Yeah. So that's... Really, really fascinating. So you obviously had a great collegiate career despite dealing with the yips. When did when did that start to like change for you? And it sounds like it you may have been still really successful ath- athletic wise 
uh, along the journey of the yip. So what was that journey like for you into sort of the collegiate accolades that we talked about in the beginning? Yeah. Um, thank you. Uh, I, I think I needed to learn how to fight for myself, how to defend myself. Um, and so going into it, pitching, it was, I think my dad probably told me this at some point. He's like, well, yeah, maybe the throwing part is not great, but they have to hit it to you first. And I was like, oh, that's great. So I think that kind of fueled my, fueled my fire. Um, and when I reflect back, there were definitely some moments where um, I would be okay at, um, you know, a big tryout because I went into it with pride. And I thought, okay, I might get cut here, but I'm not going to get cut because of this not we might we might lose i might get beat but i'm not going to do that because of this but in order to get to that point it took vulnerability and talking about it with those around me to create that comfort um and i didn't know the tools and and methods and things that i teach now which i wish i did um but i can definitely see moments where i had more clarity and i became more comfortable within my own skin even with even with that thing that I so much <laughs> wanted to go away. <laughs> yeah. And I love stories of transformation like this. And I love bringing people on the podcast that have stories like this, where it, it's, I think one of the most powerful human stories in any context is one where we're facing a problem and then we take that problem and we, we face it and we figure it out and then we turn and we say, okay, now how can I give back? How can I help others who are dealing with this thing with the things that I've learned and the results of my journey. Now I can pour into other people. And so that's one of the main reasons, uh, when I heard your podcast, uh, with Ryan that I was like, Hey, I, I would love to have you on the show because I think that that story of, again, taking the problem and then pouring back into others and helping them solve it is, is really, really powerful. Thanks. Yeah. Um, the, the metaphor I use a lot, I'm, I'm very visual in my thinking. And so in a lot of the descriptions that, and ways that I help people find their own clarity is through visual um, activities. Mm-hmm. But the, the idea of a ripple effect. So when you have the yips, the, it's, it's the same idea as like having a, a personal pond or lake. And this huge stone is launched into your, into your lake. And you don't know when, you don't know why. The timing of it when it pops up for people is different. So the negative ripple effect that it creates initially is, is huge. It's enormous. So it, the anxiety shows up in, I had, I had test anxiety. I had social anxiety. I had moments of low self-esteem because why can't I do this simple little task? It's always the simple task. Why me? Am I broken? There's a stigma of, um, performance anxiety is in, um, being mentally weak right? Which is, couldn't be farther from it. It's, it's the mm. only people that get the yips are deep thinkers, overthinkers, um, stubborn, which is a superpower, I believe. Um, yeah. perfectionist people, pleasers, the hardest working people, they set three alarms before every morning. Um, yeah. and then it randomly just switches. And so the ripple effect that that's causing and thinking, from a perfectionist standpoint that if you're failing, it's because you're not perfect enough. It creates that repetitive loop. And so everything gets displaced, right? So they're thinking about what happened at practice during class because they're not present in class. They're thinking about their grade when they're hanging out with their friends and the cycle all gets displaced. But as they kind of explore the root of the yips and figure out, um, actually understanding the why, why them, and really getting that clarity, that stone has to be put back in because it's part of their journey. But when you throw it back in, it's, it's a different shape. It looks different. And so then it starts to create a really beautiful, positive ripple effect. And so a lot of people have told me they feel happier. Um, their parents, some of their parents have noticed that they're just more engaged with them. So it's, the age range is different. Um, I help people from 10 all the way up into their seventies. Um, the sport, the gender, it doesn't matter, but everyone starts to feel a little bit more comfortable in being present because they're not afraid of it anymore. Hmm. That's a really interesting result. And I love that visual to go right along with it. Thanks for sharing that. 
So Eileen, as you transitioned then into this performance coaching role that you're in right now, what were some of the challenges that you faced in making the transition from athlete to the performance anxiety coach? Oh man. Um, I think taking the leap of faith again, because I, I am a people pleaser and I am a perfectionist. So monitoring my own, um, confidence, I guess, in it, knowing that as I'm helping people and and really trusting that the, the patterns of what I'm finding, because at this point I've helped about 200 people probably at this point over the last decade. Um, and really having confidence in what I'm doing with that, right? So to make sure that I'm yeah. fully able to convey that to them and get them to not feel alone, but to take that leap of faith and go out there and I mean, doing podcasts and doing those things right. out of my comfort zone. So I think it's, um, I think hopefully that can be inspiring to them as well to see that at 38 years old, you can go and change and adapt and, and do different things. But, um, it's been a, it's been a really beautiful journey for myself as well, just to, as I'm seeing them heal and, and approach life from a more fearless perspective, I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. And and I know you have confidentiality that you have to keep and maintain with your, with your patients, but is there a specific case that comes to mind that was, you know, that's maybe been really rewarding that you can sort of generally talk about? Oh, um, they're all different. Um, some of them are, you know, similar to the exact same situation that I maybe went through. And so that's really special to be, to be able to see them getting through something that I never got over as when I was playing. Um, but I also think it's really special to be able to help people that maybe aren't playing anymore or are, um, playing a different sport than it originally started from and help them find ways to love themselves and provide that support and love that maybe they were lacking at points. Um, and finding peace with some of the traumas that they've experienced and rewriting their story. Um, kind of going through like the reflection piece of it, of like finding, um, I don't know, just what makes them happy and living life for themselves because you never know what can change. Yeah. I just had someone on the podcast a few weeks ago. His name is Topaz Adizas. And, um, he was talking about this idea of sort of what we call ourselves matters. And and he sort of titled himself a story breaker. And I love that because it's this idea of people have this sort of story about themselves and he helps them sort of break that story and yeah. see it a different way. And I thought that was a really beautiful way to sort of frame this idea of like helping people maybe write a new story about themselves. Absolutely. Really cool. That's really cool. So when you are working with someone, how do you think about success? So if someone's working with you, what does success look like? Uh, Ultimately for me, it's them being happy and them being, um, letting their resting state actually be resting, not, not spinning and thinking about that next thing. And so learning to see themselves flaws and all, and think about things that, because the, the other attribute um, that we all have is that we will typically think about worst case scenario. And so in the world, everyone says, don't think about that. Be positive, be positive. And as someone, I, I think I'm very positive in the world. However, I need to, it, it helps me prepare for worst case scenario by thinking about it. And if I have a plan for it, then I'm not afraid of it. And so in helping each client identify that, see their personality traits without judgment, then when they make a mistake, whether it's mental or physical, there there is no judgment with that. There shouldn't be. But everyone thinks that if you make a mental mistake, it's a, it's an avoidable thing, which then causes them to avoid it more, which sends the brain into fight or flight, which then makes the yips happen more. It's, yeah. it's getting them to take their power back from this task that used to consume them. They're still going to make mistakes, but it's not making a mistake because they're worried about making that mistake. Um, so I think yeah. the success is definitely happiness, but it's also 
I think a lot of them have actually overcome their, their actual skill. They can do the skill that they haven't not been able to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a big success too. It's interesting as well because the positivity thing is something that I've been thinking about in my own life this year, because I think for a while I was almost too, maybe too positive to where I couldn't see the reality or maybe see some of the potential issues coming down the pipeline and in projects at work or um, in my own life and just things that I was doing. What is your sort of thought on the right amount of positivity to bring into something? Because I think positivity is important. And I think that has been shown in a lot of studies, but in your opinion, like where is that line between like seeing the reality of the situation and potential negative outcomes, but also maintaining a positive attitude. Interesting. Interesting question. Um, I think it's different for everybody. Okay. Some people are the big gravitate more towards that and just need to live in that. I think that's if I'm trying to do that, it, I don't, I don't know fully how to answer this question. I think it's really complicated. Um, it, it is. Yeah. I, I do think your initial answer though, it's different for everybody is interesting. And I'm curious. So have you, is that something that you're sort of just gathering an experience from working with so many people or what is sort of is behind that answer for you? Yeah. Um, so the first thing that I, that popped in my head is my husband is in, it an eternal optimist. Like he is always glass yeah. half full. That's, That's me too. You. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I am too with most things. And even in the way that I will treat people and in, so I think it's making space for things that might not, that might be scary or maybe it's not ideal, right? The idea of a, a paradox, right? So if, um, I lost my mom a couple of years ago. And so learning how to miss her and also still be happy. Right. So learning how to, yeah. to let those things coexist um, and not feeling like it's disloyal to her to move forward and be happy. But I think she would want me to have a really happy, badass life. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's learning yeah. to have learning how to see it full picture so that I can find my own comfort. And that comfort and maybe gratitude, maybe that is the version of happiness or, or positivity. Yeah. Some, but some have have harder journeys in their life. And that's yeah. I think sometimes it we need positivity to give us hope too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think that is at the root, like after, you know, some years of of therapy and a lot of thought, I do think that's the root of a lot of mine was just uh, somewhat difficult childhood. And there were a lot of challenges that I had to overcome. And I think it was my way to cope was just seeing the good and everything. Let me believe that there was a better future ahead. And so I do sometimes struggle with this, like the plane could be on fire and I'm like, Oh, I think it'll be okay. Like, I think we'll be all right. Or, you know, the project could be going completely wrong and I'll be like, I think it's going to work out. Okay. So like learning to, to see more of those warning signs along the way and be okay. I love the way that you actually touched on this with like multiple truths existing at once. Like I think as I grew up, I developed this idea that if I wasn't, if I wasn't seeing the positive that I was being negative, Mm -hmm. but I think there's also this idea of like, I can still be positive and maintain that optimism, but also see the reality. It's, it's like both things can exist at one time. Mm -hmm. Like you were talking about with your mom. And I'm really sorry to to hear about that. That's a, that's a big life change to go through. And I think it's really um, transformative. Um, My mom just went through that with her mom. And so like seeing her go through that has been um, really even difficult for me to see like how that transition has um, impacted her. I do think it's like, it's a part of life, um, but it is difficult. Yeah. It kind of sends you into a, um, I think anytime, whether it's a parent or anyone you lose or just the the big shifts, right? It can send you into a really reflective state of what yeah. do what do I want to do? How do I want to live my life? What do I want my legacy to be? How do I want to be remembered? Like those those types of things. And so when you look at it from that point, it kind of makes some of the things that feel so big actually makes it feel really small. And then you can kind of put that away and then find that some of that positivity. 
Yeah. But it requires actually seeing it, looking at it head on. And I mean, that's a lot of what I do with my clients is having them look at everything full picture mm. and really look at why, why we handle stressful situations that way and learning how to rewrite that. Mm, that's beautiful. Thanks. There's a, a book called Integrity by Dr. Henry Cloud. I read this a long time ago, but he defines integrity as the courage to see reality as it is. And Ooh. I probably paraphrase that a little bit, but I love that definition as just yeah. like being able to look at the entire picture and face whatever's there is what he calls integrity. Yeah, I, think that's I love really it. Beautiful. I want to read it. That sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> it is a great book. Um, so looking back, Eileen, it, now that you have all this experience and you've been able to coach over 200 people through performance anxiety, what advice do you think you would give your, your younger self in dealing with sort of the problems that you were facing through your athletic career? Hmm. Um, to let myself be happy to celebrate my effort more than the outcome because you can't control the outcome. Even when you are perfect with something, even if you do a lot of of the people that get the it's a lot of times it's, and just think about the way the world lives in general. If you are kind, people will be kind back, whether it's people who believe um, of a higher faith, higher being, right? Like, If you do X, Y, or Z, then you will go to this place, right? If you work hard, you will get this. So I think it's establishing um, at the core the value of effort and intentions. Did you try your best? Yes, I tried my best. Okay, and I still failed. So maybe I need to do it differently. But letting go of it is going to be the first step moving forward. But holding Mm -hmm. on to it and like avoiding those things because it's not ideal. That's not successful. So, or, or it won't be as successful. So I think, I think I would have given myself more permission to fail, to not be perfect mm-hmm. and to not, because I'm also very sensitive. And so, um, whatever I feel, I'm, I, I feel a lot and I wish I would have given myself permission to be who I um, at a younger age. And I think that would have allowed me to be more comfortable in my own skin and my yips probably would have gone away faster. Yeah. That's it's making me a little bit emotional. I like speaking to my soul right now, because <laughs> I do think that's been a lot of my journey has been learning that. And a lot of it, the hard way too, is just like the, the inputs versus outcome side of thing has been so difficult for me. I was so outcome driven as a, as a kid. And I don't even think that was anything really that my parents did. I think that was just sort of the way that I interpreted the world was Mm -hmm. like the external success is the thing that matters. And, um, I do think it, obviously it matters to some extent, the outcomes, but I do think the much more important thing in my life has become the inputs. And it's like, it's totally changed the way I think about success in my own life as more like this week. Did I really, did I go into work like focusing on an outcome or did I focus on like, what are the things that I could do that if I got them done this week, that I'd be really proud of this week and like how I showed up mm-hmm. same with parenting, like oh, yeah. input, I not outcome. You, like, oh, you can't yeah. control the outcome, right? <laughs> with kids. It's like, they, they're going to do what they're going to do. But what you have control over is like the conversations that you have is the love that you give them, regardless mm-hmm. of like the decisions that they're making, the support and the safety that you can provide them at home. Like all of those things. I mean, I just, again, like it just, made me so emotional hearing you say that because I think those are a lot of the things that I've learned along my journey as well. Yeah. And the, and the connections, right? So learning to, we all, we want to provide for those we love, especially as people that are people pleasers, but we have to be included in that as well. We can't just put them ahead of us. If we neglect our own needs, eventually we can't provide for them because we're not fulfilled. We're not we don't feel enough to be able to do that. Right. So parenting, you have to take care of yourself in order to be a good parent. You have to, with your job, if you only focus on a job, it's eventually you'll have burnout and like the impact of that. But I think as young athletes and with social media and just social media in general for any age, it causes just such a false sense of reality with all the filters and the, um, immediate gratification and like needing to have things go a certain way, learning to do what brings you joy, 
for, for you at the end of the day, that's also, I guess, kind of a lesson that I've learned through my mom. At some point when it stops, you have to be able to look back and say, okay, are the connections that I made with the people that I love the most where I want them to be? And is, and, and how do I, how do I honor that? How do I do that now? Yeah. I think that's really, really well said. I want to sort of pivot here and spend some time focusing on the yips themselves. So I think a great place to start is just what are the yips and how do they start to manifest in athletes? I think everybody, um, some people might have different interpretations of it. This is how I view them. Um, so when there's a task that we want to do, it can be, per, it, it can be, um, public speaking, it can be a sport, it can be any variation of thing. When we want to do it so badly that it feels so important and necessary for our survival, right? So if we want to survive socially, we want to fit in, we want to, to do those things, we need to be able to perform this task. And it's something that we should be able to do and we don't, our brain starts freaking out. And so our brain and our body is cross-wired. So for me, my left half of my brain was telling my arm, like, this is terrifying. Avoid. I'm getting you out of this situation. And so yeah. send me to fight or flight and my arm would go numb so that I couldn't do the task because the task that that task was so detrimental or so scary to my well-being. So yeah. in that avoidance, then it's happening. But I've had um, it's not always just the arm. Sometimes it's the body. So some people have told me they feel like their body can't move like the dreams where you like are trying to run and you can't run. Um, There's a state of shock where there's the haze, like there's everything is desensitized around them to make them not feel that feeling because our our brain knows that we don't like feeling that way. So it's trying to save us. Um, Do you know uh, what you're supposed to do when you see a black bear? Uh. I should know because I lived in, I lived in East Tennessee. I feel like they're fast. So don't run. And I feel like they climb. So maybe like make yourself bigger. Make I don't, yourself bigger I don't know. And get loud. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So when the yips are happening and it feels so embarrassing because it's such a simple task with a black bear, you're supposed to get big and loud. So you are supposed in the avoidance of that alone. If you try and run away from that bear, it's going to eat you. So it's the same thing with the yips. If you try and avoid the feeling and avoid the task, it's going to make it worse. Mm. You avoid talking about it, it makes it worse. So when when the person is ready to talk about it, it's a really helpful thing to have kind of a good community of people to help support them. But ultimately, they have to be um, more supportive for themselves in that experience. So tackling it head on, saying, I'm afraid of this, this is hard, X, Y, or Z, kind of like laying out um, the scenario that they are going to take their power back from is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I, for people who are just listening and not watching, there was a moment where Eileen also, she said something that to the effect of um, the athletes or people, sh- it's a task that they should be able to do. And she did the, the finger quotes, air quotes as well with that. Uh, can, can you explain a little further, Eileen? Um, so why did you use the the air quotes there so that it's a task that people should be able to do? Is that from their own perspective, from other people's perspective? Uh, how do you frame that? Yeah, it's, it's generally something that you learn early on. And so the people that get the yips are also really good at that task. But then the brick by the brain, it's like we're overshooting the task that's being asked of us. So it's golfers with putting, um, Pitchers sometimes throwing strikes, overhand throws to bases, um, free throws. It's it's like the smaller tasks, the mm-hmm. ones that know that people are expecting you to make, right? So yeah. um the other attribute that we have as as people who get the ifs are um we have very high expectations. So mm-hmm. we are very forgiving for others, like, oh, it's okay, it's okay, I support you still, but I can't accept that for myself. And so we make, these, we make these subconscious rules saying that if we betrayed this rule, then we almost kind of do a form of self-punishment in that where we need to practice more and do more to get better. But in reality, doing less is actually more. Um, 
Cause like, if think about your, your son, he's four, right? So yeah. if he accidentally drops a cup of water or something, you're not going to go up and yell at him. Right. If he, if he takes the cup of water and like chucks it on your computer on purpose, you're like different story, different story. So it's <laughs> something he should know better. Right. So right. it's, it's like I said earlier, looking at the intention and the effort and if, the F, if they didn't try to make a mistake, they shouldn't be punishing themselves for making that mistake. Yeah. Thank you. I think that, I think that definitely helps clarify. So the yips or performance anxiety can exist anywhere. Why do you think it's so prevalent in sports specifically? Because I mostly hear people talk about it related to sports. Is that just an awareness thing? Or do you think there is something driving maybe its prevalence in sports specifically? Um. I think it's talked about more in that maybe um, anxiety outside of that or performance anxiety is more so just talked about as anxiety outside anxiety. of sports. Okay. But within sports, um, I have seen a shift even from when I played where kids are playing. My, I have a nine-year-old daughter and a, a six-year-old son. And so lessons are happening earlier. The pressure is happening earlier. The travel, the the needs that they're needing that they're having to meet are more intense at a younger age. And so that plus social media, I think COVID also kind of had a, a, a part in it too, where it's, it took some, a lot of our control away. Yeah. And so when our control away, when our control goes away, we want to control something else. And so I think that can make it spike, but I have seen, the spectrum is so broad. It can just happen as simple as um, one pitcher just losing the strike zone for a second and then coming back. It can be as large as my arm going numb. Yeah. But when the tools and the, the steps are followed, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. They can go away if, if you let them, yeah. if you accept it and then ask for help and move forward. How do you think, especially I'm curious since you are a, uh, a parent, I'm a parent as well. And I've started to see this already. So my daughter is six and I've started to see sort of the competitive pressures around. She's currently doing gymnastics. Um, she's tried several different sports and gymnastics is the one she's liked the most so far. Um, how are you thinking about the things like that pressure at such a young age? Do you think it is healthy? Do you think there's a, a way to make it more healthy? Um, like, how do you think about that with your own kids and sort of your own life? I wish it didn't happen as young. Yeah. Same. Um, I, yeah. I'm very, very slow to push my kids into things. You know, there are some kids that play travel softball already, um, but she's nine and I, I'm hesitant to, I want her to ask for it. I want her to, to drive that. Right. Um I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I wish it, I wish it wasn't happening like that everywhere. Yeah, It's really, it is interesting because I think being a kid today is totally different than when you and I were kids We're we're very close to the same age. And I just, when, you know, when we were growing up, I just remember having like hours just to like be outside and explore. And I played sports too. I mean, but it wasn't, they don't, they didn't at that time feel as all consuming as they do today. And I feel like I do worry sometimes just with my own kids, like that there may not be enough time for them just to be kids. And so I'm always thinking about like, what can we remove in their lives so that they can just have time to do the things that they're curious about and explore and sort of learn in that way. Because I think that the blank space is so important for kids to have as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to be bored. Right. Yeah. No, like it's hard to like, they don't like being bored, obviously, yeah. but like, it's really important. And that's kind of the resting state, like not sitting there thinking about what they need to be going and doing. Um, yeah, I, I think they, I, I would definitely encourage more of that. Um, just letting them play. Yeah. Be creative. Yeah. And I think it, I don't even know if it's just kids. Cause I feel like in some ways that like that was something I lost for a long time too. And I've been sort of just rediscovering like how fun it is to just have time to play, to do something that I'm interested in, whether that's writing or making music, whether that's playing a sport with friends, whether that's going to a concert of an artist that I may or may not know that well, like just having time where it's just okay. Like to give myself permission just to be, and to not have an outcome. Like this is time where I'm not going to, learn a new song or go in with this specific outcome in mind of like getting better. It's just like being, and I feel like that's something that 
just culturally, maybe we've gotten a little bit away from. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I have kind of a, it's like things that feed the yips and things that kill the yips. And so that is spot on. Mm. This idea of in order to get better, in order to be happy, in order to be successful, you need to do more. But in, in just being and going to a concert, like you were talking about, and just listening to listen and being happy, mm-hmm. you're going to come out of that feeling happier. So because you were present, that next place, next thing you're going to go do, you're going to be happier. Exactly. And then that is a good experience. And then all of it, the domino effect of that just keeps playing out. But in time, when you reflect back, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so much happier than I was back then and all I did was let go. Yeah. All I did was just be. Yeah. And so you got better. I did air quotes again. I didn't need to. <laughs> no, no, you're totally fine. You could do those anytime. I just wanted to explain for people listening why I was asking that specific question. <laughs> but you get better without even realizing it and it feels easier and it's a more fun journey in the process. Yeah. Yeah. And I found that completely true in my own life as well. We talked earlier about acceptance being sort of kind of that first step in um, starting to successfully deal with problems in life and specifically also the yips or performance anxiety. So how do you, do you deal with people who may be in denial about their having the yips as well? And if so, like, how do you approach someone who is sort of in that denial state? Yeah. So um, it has to be, they have to be the, the lead in this. So um, sometimes a coach or a parent will contact me and say that they have someone that is struggling and then they will pass along my information to that person. And if that person, it, the ball is in their court, then sometimes they don't contact me. Sometimes they do, but they have to initiate it. Some people don't call them the yips. Some people say mental blocks. Sometimes they say, I just feel off. Um, but Either way, then being able to describe it in a space with someone that understands what it feels like, I think allows them to let their guard down a little bit faster. Um, and obviously, like none of my work is guaranteed, but that is that is a key component. They have to be willing to do it differently. Yeah, it's um, a metaphor I use for that is the idea of tying your shoes. Right, everyone ties their shoes in different ways, and so I'm asking them to handle stress in a different way than they're used to doing. And so they have to be willing to put in that effort and to be intentional with it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that absolutely makes sense. Hilarious sidebar. I just learned there was more than one way to tie a shoe. Like fairly recently, (laughs) I always just thought that like you make the tree and like the rabbit chases the tree and then goes into the hole under the tree. That was like the method I learned. And then someone like was tying their shoes and I was like, wait, what are you, how did you do that? And it's, I just totally had my mind blown that there was more than one way. I just lived in denial for so long. (laughs) Yeah, you should learn to do it a different way. (laughs) So I mean, as far as sort of this idea of mental toughness or resilience, um, we're almost kind of taking a, the opposite direction than, than what we were just talking about with having blank space. Do you think that mental resilience can be taught or do you think it's something that's sort of more inherent in people? I think it can be taught. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell me a little some more people, about that? Yeah. Some people, it might come a little more naturally, um, but it's learning to when they look at all of their personality traits, they have some, like I mentioned, stubbornness. So it's learning that even when you have everything going up against you, you still have to bet on yourself. And so rather than attacking yourself and saying those things, you have to, you have to see that as a reason that you want to be stronger and want to be better. So seeing, seeing the scary thing, the scary task or or whatever it is, or judgment and choosing to let go and say, judgment, go ahead. I'm going to take this on. I'm going to go for this because I know I will be proud of myself. Mm. That's, it's a choice. And then finding, like learning to be the master of chaos, basically, like there will be chaos. So being perfect, I did air quotes there, right? Because there is no perfection. Um, being perfect at the imperfections. Yeah. being authentic, being who you are, flaws and all. And, you know, 
I hear stories all the time of like, yeah, in the locker room, we can't talk about um, the yips because they think it's going to be contagious and they're all going to get it. Uh, and so it's this thing that people are trying to avoid that is so scary, but in reality it's not. And it's the highest form of a compliment, in my opinion, if people get them because it means they're thoughtful, deep thinking, hardworking people. Yeah. Right. And it also means that they were really good at that skill and they need to just let their body go back to doing what it knows how to do. The brain it's, it's telling you to let, to leave it alone. Yeah. Circling back to something you said at the very beginning of the interview, uh, stubbornness is a superpower. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. Everyone thinks that being stubborn is bad and it's, mainly because it's like in situation, the people who say that are the ones that don't agree with the opinion. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) But like, if you see, it's like when something is hard, really digging your heels in and making a choice to keep going, making a choice to fight. And that that's, you have to be willing to do it with conviction. And that comes from stubbornness and every person whether even if it's only specifically towards um, some, some people are very good at letting go in every aspect of their life, except for that one skill, whether it's softball, baseball, volleyball, basketball, whatever it is, what that one thing that they care the most about and because they care about it, they want to protect it more Mm. and in the protection, they get really careful. And um, in reality, they just need to go and be. Yeah. Well said. And that gives me some hope for my children. They'll be yeah. great. You're, I'm sure you're doing a great job. <laughs> they are very stubborn at times. I'm like, wow, I don't know if they get that from me or from their mother, but, or, or from both probably. But I do. My mom always says I was a stubborn kid as well. And I feel like it turned out okay so far. So I think it's a good thing. So I don't want to give away your entire method, but I was curious, can we talk about if someone is dealing with this in their own life and they want to start to troubleshoot it. What would you recommend as sort of a first step? Um, I think identifying what they're afraid of and, and why and seeing if they can reshape how they look at it. Yeah. So if I'm afraid to, in, in my overthrows, I was afraid to lose the game and let down my teammates and, and embarrass myself. So looking at why, did I care so much about what other people thought? Why did I put their needs above my own? Right. And so really digging that apart. And then there are some other tools that um, are based on their own individual needs to kind of free them from that. But it's, I think it's exploring it from that standpoint and then talking to people and asking for help and knowing that it can go away. Yeah. A lot of people think it can never go away, especially if they've had it for a really long time. It just requires, it requires hitting it from the right angle. Yeah. And so that's where we unpack a lot of different things and then just creating that comfort around that. Um, and then in time, they find their voice through my voice. And so they think they're hearing me in their head, but in reality, it's their new way of handling stress, mm. which is they find more confidence and more strength in that too. Mm. But, that's really beautiful. And if you are listening and you're struggling with this, I would certainly encourage you to reach out to Eileen as well. We'll have her contact info in the show notes for today. So you can click on whatever app it is that you're listening to. Uh, You can find her website, contact info to reach out if you are interested in working with her. Um, Because I I do think that she is, uh, she's one of the best out there at this specific, um, the specific field. So I want to sort of take another turn in the interview. And I want to talk about misconceptions because I think anytime that something has a little bit of mysticism around it, which I think the yips, like you talked about, like sometimes it's like, don't talk about it in the locker room because it'll spread. Like there's these, it becomes almost this like mystical thing and takes on a life of its own. So I want to talk about what are some of the misconceptions around the yips and um, what are the most common ones that you've seen in your work? Yeah. I can speak on behalf of the the people I help as well as myself. Um, I used to be told from some people that I was lazy, that I didn't work hard enough on my throwing form, (laughs) which is like not Not true true. at all. Um, Mentally weak is one I hear a lot about. Um, 
a lot of people, a lot of my clients have said, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this simple thing? It's the easiest task. Why can't I do this? Even, even some, even someone much younger can do this. Um, I used to admire I mean, because 13 of my years playing was spent agonizing over this skill of throwing overhand. And so I would think about it outside of that. Uh, <coughs> sorry. No and so in when I would see someone younger, even if it was like a five-year-old throwing a ball with ease, I'd be like, oh, I want to be like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And so it's, everyone can be inspired from, from different ages and different people. But there's this whole idea that, they that there's a bad reason why they can't do that, mm. you know, and people try and capitalize on that. People would try and bunt to me on purpose all the time. Mm. It's kind of, it's mean. Yeah. I, like, okay. Yeah, I get it, I guess, but it's really mean. Yeah, it is. So um, just having compassion for people and for a pitcher that this is one that I think kind of flies under the radar pitchers that randomly start walking people and parents and coaches will sit there in the stands and be like, just throw a strike. It's not that hard. Come on. Right. And in, in reality, it's they're they're trying too hard and their brain is getting in the way and impacting the, the way the body is moving. Mm. Um, trying harder or, is not the solution. <laughs> trying harder is not the solution. Or if there's a ground ball um, or if the body doesn't want to do it, it, it like Simone Biles with the twisties, right? The, right. the way the body will kind of feel moving towards that. It actually is literally not letting you move to it. So then people think that you're being lazy and not making the effort to go and do that task or you're suddenly running slower. Those things, it's, it, there's so much more to it than people are realizing, yeah. especially if they were okay with some, with that task before. Right. There's a reason why it's changing. Interesting. Yeah. The brain and the nervous system are insanely powerful too. Like the ability to sort of prevent subconsciously things that it sees as a danger is absolutely wild. Yeah. It it fascinates me. Like I I remember there was a time, like I, um, I had like a disc in my low back that was just like, it was not doing well. And like the next day, like I woke up and my back was so tight and I went to the doctor and I was like, what is going on? And he's like, it's a protective mechanism. He's like, your back is tightening up so that you can't move so that you don't further injure your back. And so I was just like the fact that our bodies can like detect danger within the body, whether it's perceived like mental danger or actual physical danger, and then provide these protections is actually very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like it's sweet in a way because right. it thinks it's helping us yeah. right? right but you have to you have to quiet that and make it realize that it doesn't need to do that and that it's actually creating more stress and chaos so it's it's learning to speak your own language yeah um yeah it's fascinating i, I geek out about it all the yeah, time. <laughs> I, I like the way you said that learning to speak your own language because it is a process it it takes a lot of time and a lot of self-awareness and a lot of I think trial and error because we learn first by mirroring. And so I think for a long time, that was really like this, the language that I spoke to myself was what I had seen modeled in other people in my life. And I don't feel like I really found like my own language, my own way to talk to myself until the past like two or three years. And it's a completely different feeling. Like it feels so much more like home in my own body now than it felt for my entire life. Yeah. I love that. It's wild. It's awesome. So how Eileen, do you maintain sort of your own mental health when you're talking and working with so many other people um, who are sort of dealing with mental health struggles? Like how do you maintain as someone who's empathetic, your own mental health in the midst of all the people that you're working with? Yeah. Um, I have had my own wonderful therapist. Um, so she's, she's great. Um, she just retired though. Um, but I've actually found that in helping other people, especially because we're so similar in our personalities that I have found more clarity within myself. Mm. There are certain things sometimes that we'll talk about that um, hits home. Like I, I've, I've learned to kind of listen to what my body's telling me more rather than avoiding that like 
the heartbeat, right? The heartbeat that used to be so scary, yeah. even before doing the podcast, right? Yeah. My, my heart is racing yeah. and I'm like, oh, it just means I care. Yeah. And it means, and I care because I want to help motivate other people to go get help. Right. Like that's, it's, but it's hearing that and then that calms it. Mm. But I've started to kind of pay attention to that more as I'm helping other people. And so, um, I'm just so invested in all of their journeys that I just, I want them to be free. And I think in, in that connection, it provides clarity for myself. Yeah. I think that's really, really beautiful and well said. So as you're looking at sort of your journey and next steps for yourself and things to come, what's next for you? Oh, um, I want to spread the word more. Yeah. Thrown around the idea of um, writing a book, maybe, mm, yeah, and and trying to get some of the stuff out there. Um, I want to just keep talking about it more to get people to realize that. I, I hear it all the time. People think it's you can't fix them. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, they, that's yeah, they can't, they can't get rid of that. And so you can. And so in doing it in a different way than maybe they've tried before or thought about it in a different way, like that's it's something that can go away. And so I want to help just spread that word more. Yeah. And I'll, I'll do anything that I can do to help spread that word as well. And if you decide to write a book, definitely come back. We'll talk about it. It'd be a lot of fun. So one of the things that I was just thinking is, is we were sort of wrapping this up is that it is easy to, if you don't understand what's happening with the yips or performance anxiety, just to give up. And I, I can think of a specific example in my life that just embarrassed me to death. I was in fifth grade and I was in a spelling bee. I didn't really want to be in the spelling bee, but my teacher was like, Hey, you should really do this. So I was, I was there. I was like, fine, I'll go. So I made it to like the regional of our state, which at another school we go. And it was like first round, the word I got was misspell. <laughs> And I misspelled misspell in front of like hundreds of people. I mean, it was a full auditorium. And after that, like I, I totally, and it wasn't that I didn't know how to spell the word. It was just that like in that moment, like I froze, like I couldn't think of anything. My brain felt empty. And I just said the first thing I could think of. And I said one S instead of two. And uh, I just remember after that thinking like, I'm never going to do like a spelling bee again. And um, and I never did. And there were lots of other things that I did, um, but I never went back to that one thing. And I think sometimes that happens with people that maybe experience some type of performance anxiety, whether it's in sport, whether it's in academics, whether it's in anything in life that they're kind of dealing with is like just assuming like maybe I'm not good at that. Um, and so I hope that today's episode has also spread some awareness about sort of what performance anxiety is and how it can manifest in people's lives. Because I think sometimes it's just an awareness thing of just not knowing what to look for. Yeah. Yeah. And the avoidance piece of it. Yeah. It's like the trauma and, and running away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause that was yeah. easier for me. I was like, I'll just not do another spelling bee. Yeah. I don't want to have to worry about being embarrassed on stage. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a huge part of it as well. Um, well, Eileen, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. Before we sort of wrap the episode up, is there anything else that you would like to share with everyone, uh, with the audience while we have you on the podcast? Um, I think the biggest thing, and this is a, a really special thing that my clients have, I'll ask them what they want me to share. Um, and they always said, they always tell me just to tell people to not give up hope. Mm. If it's something that they want to do to keep trying and finding the way and asking for help. Yeah. So that's, that's about it though. Yeah, that's great. So one question that I, I always ask at the end of every episode um, is that if there's someone who's kind of just starting out on their journey and they want to make a difference like you're making in the world, but they're not sure where to start, where would you tell them to sort of start that journey? What would be a good first step? Uh, to be brave and then to... I I don't know, I guess maybe looking big picture to see where, like what the, what the vision is and why. Yeah. So I wanted to eliminate the pain that I felt for so long. So taking something bad and making it good, using it for good. So looking for what that vision is and then be brave and just do one step, one small step, one at a time. And then it, it gets bigger. It can, 
one inspiring one person and the, the ripple effect can inspire other people. Yeah. Right back to the ripple effect. I love that visual. I think that's a perfect way to wrap up today's episode. Um, so thanks again, Eileen, for coming on the show. For those listening, if you would like to get in touch with Eileen, all of her contact information is in the show notes. Definitely reach out. Again, I think she's absolutely phenomenal at what she does and would love to help you or someone you love that might be going through uh, some type of performance anxiety. So Eileen, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, we'll talk soon. Okay, bye. bye. And that's a wrap on another inspiring episode of The Impact Code. A huge thanks to our sponsor, Tower Community Bank, for making The Impact Code possible. They pay for everything related to the podcast. So if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to head over to www.towercommunitybank.com and check us out. I also want to extend a huge thank you to Eileen for coming on the show and sharing her incredible journey with us today from dominating the pitching mound to conquering mental hurdles and now empowering others to do the same. Her story to me is a testament of both human resilience and using that resilience then to go on and make a positive impact in the lives of others. If Eileen's story resonated with you or you know someone who could benefit from her coaching, don't forget to subscribe and share this episode. Your engagement helps us reach and support more individuals who are also trying to overcome challenges in their own lives. So thanks to Eileen, thanks to Tower Community Bank, and thank you, our listeners, for joining us on The Impact Code. Until next time, keep making your impact and we will see you back here next time for another episode of The Impact Code. Bye. Mm-hmm.